This morning we're going to be talking a lot about love. If you have been here for some of the previous sermons, or all of the previous sermons, you will know that love is a topic that is mentioned many times in First John. There are words and themes like love and abide that just seem to appear over and over again. This morning, before we start, I would just like for us to think of love. Think of someone that we know who just exudes love. It, it, it's almost like it just flows out of them. Like, I, you know, when I think of people like Rick Carlson and, and Jake Jerry, I just think, wow, these are loving, gentle, soft individuals. And, okay, <laughs> they, they do exude love, but maybe in a different way. I, I sincerely think of this woman named Miss Pat Ball, who when I got to college, she, was, uh, uh, she worked at the Baptist Collegiate Ministry, and she was just an, an older lady who volunteered her time to work with college students. And I would walk in, even before I knew her, I knew that she was just a person who loved other people. You just knew it from the moment you were around her. And so have you all ever met someone like that where from the moment you met them, you just knew that they loved people? For those of you who are pessimistic like I am, it might have even been, you might have even thought, this can't be real. This can't be how she is, you know, most of the time. Uh, But for Miss Pat, it was like that. You know, when I think of love, I think of the sacrifices that my mother made when I was a child to be able to raise me and, and my two brothers by herself. And I think of just the the things that a single mom has to do. And, you know, she was there to tell me not to be so rough and, and to teach me moral, more maternal instincts. But then she was also there to teach me how to shave, give me a pep talk for my first date, you know, things like that. When I think of love, I think of my mom and my, my grandmother. I think of my wife. I don't know why I only think of women when I think about love. Maybe they're just better at it than, than us guys. But, you know, I, the, in, in my life right now, the times where I feel most secure, most loved, is just there are just times when I look at my spouse and I see Rose and I just think, man, it can't get better than this. And, I just am, I have so much confidence in her love for God and her love for me. And the reason I have that confidence is because she proves it. Because my mom, when I was a child, she proved it. Miss Pat, when I was in college, she proved it. That these people prove their love by their actions. <clears throat> when they fail in love, because we all will fail in love, then they're there to make things right. They're there to, as, as much as possible to ask for forgiveness, to show that they're, they're sorry, and, and to, to continue moving forward in love. And so this morning, when we talk about love, um, we're going to be talking about it even in a, in a broader sense, in a sense of we are to love everyone, our brothers. As we read through the scripture and as we read through our love for God, as we read through our love for each other and for the world, then the, my question is, is what, where is the evidence in your life that you love, and you can fill in the blank, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your grandparents, 
Where is the evidence in your life that you love your co-workers, your fellow church members? Where is the evidence in your life that you love God? The title of the sermon this morning is, If We Love God, We Will Love Like Him. If we love God, we will love like Him. Now, we're not going to love perfectly as He loves perfectly, but we will love similarly to what He has loved. And, and we will learn from His love and His example. And we will follow that example. And we will love like Him. So, if we love God, we will love like Him. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him. So already we see one of those words I was mentioning earlier. We see abide, to live, to remain, that you're planted there. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now in the, in the previous few verses, um, we have seen, if, if we were to look back at verse 7, beloved, let us love one another. And, and he goes on for several verses about how we love and what love looks like. And it's really love is that God first loved us and he did these great things for us. And we see that in verses 7 through 12. And, and we're told to love others. And, and then not only do we have this love, but, but we can also know that we abide in him because he has given us his Holy Spirit. For those of you who are Christians, and this is extremely important, we can call ourselves Christians, but that doesn't mean that we are a Christian. We can call ourselves a Christian, but that doesn't mean we are a Christian. And we've seen this before in First John. But First John is all about, this letter is all about giving us evidence of whether we are or are not a Christian. And in the previous few verses, it was love, and we're going to actually talk about love again, as we just mentioned. But right now in this verse, he's saying that it, the Spirit has sealed us, that if God has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, in Matthew 7, I believe it's verse 22, that Jesus is, is talking about how at the end of time that people will come to him and they will say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We casted out demons in your name. We did wonderful works in your name. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And now there's lots going on here. First of all, there's the, the security thing. Um, we've been talking about how we can have assurance as Christians that we are we have a relationship with God, that we are saved, and that we're not going to lose that salvation. And Jesus doesn't say here, depart from me, for I don't know you anymore. He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so we can think that we are Christians. We can come to Jesus at, on Judgment Day, and we can say... Lord, I prophesied in your name. I casted out demons in your name. I did wonderful works or miracles in your name. And he can still say to us, depart from me for I never knew you. How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because works don't save us. It's possible because we cannot do things to earn our salvation. We can never do anything worthy enough of being saved. What we, The good that we can do in our life will never equal the sins that we have committed against God. And so when when these people come to him and say, look at this work and this work and this work, he can say, depart from me for I never knew you because works don't save us. So what does save us? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us in many other places in Scripture is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And so it's only by the gift of God and by the faith that we place in him that we believe that that. Jesus, 
was born as a man in the form of a little baby, just as we were all were born. And this was God becoming flesh. And he grew into an adult, and he never sinned. He was the perfect example of what a man should be and, and, and could be, it, it, or at least Adam could have been uh, when sin had not entered the world. And Jesus uh, never sinned and, and didn't deserve any kind of punishment or any kind of separation from God. And he was God, and he was one with God. And, um, and yet, he chose to take punishment for our sake. He, he didn't deserve to be punished, but he chose to take that punishment for our sake. And if we believe that he has paid the price, and we put our faith in him, and, we, and we're going to read a, in a little bit uh, about a, a, a certain word which implies in it that we trust him, that we surrender to him, that he becomes our Lord. And so, the question this morning is, is... Are you his? Do you belong to him? Is he your Lord? Has he given you the Holy Spirit? Now, it's possible for us to think that we're saved and think that we have the Holy Spirit when we don't. But this is one of many signs of how we can know that we are saved. Beloved, let us love one another. Sorry, that's verse 7. Let me go down to verse 13 where we are. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. John was there. John was, was one of Jesus' disciples. John was the disciple who was standing with Jesus' mother when Jesus was crucified. In fact, John was the disciple that Jesus said, woman, behold your son, son, your mother. John knew Jesus intimately. He witnessed it. And he's saying, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. Now John, in his older age, he's one of the disciples, um, really the only disciple who lived to old age. And uh, the others were, were martyred. And, of course, we know what happened with Judas, but um, with, with John, he has now lived to his old age, and he is writing this letter to people. And there are people within the church who they've left the church, or they were never part of the church, really, the spiritual part of the church. But they came to the church. They were present at the, at the church gathering, the, when the church gathered. And they are teaching these false truths. And one of the things that these people were teaching that we see not only from the context of this letter, but from many other letters in the New Testament. Uh, one of the things that these people were teaching is that uh, Jesus was never really a man. He was actually just spirit, but that's not true. But that's what they were teaching. That God doesn't care about the world. He, he only cares about spiritual things. But here we go. John's going to correct that. He says, we have seen and testify. John says, I was there. That the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So, who can be saved by Jesus? Just Americans? No, or we'd be wasting our time and efforts and money with Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Americans are no more important to God than any other country or people on earth. 
God desires for all men to be saved. He has a special people. It's not Americans. It's Israelites. It's, it's Israel. And he has used them from the time of Abraham. And if, if you want to learn more about this, you should come to Wednesday night Bible study because we talk about these sort of things. He has used them since he called Abram, Abraham. Even really the genealogy, can, you can trace it back even further than that. But he, he starts this, he makes a special covenant with Abraham. And then he renews that covenant with Moses. He renews that covenant with David. And then that covenant is just shown the, the fullness of what God always intended through, through Christ. And we see here in 1 John chapter 4 that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. God used his special people, the Israelites in the Old Testament. And then we get to the New Testament and all who put their faith in Christ is, are adopted in, are adopted as sons and daughters of the living Lord, of the living God. And, and so here we see that we can be his, anyone on earth. If they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. And he made it possible. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And I pray that this time of the year, that this time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that we would think about why Jesus was born. And when we're thinking about why Jesus was born, I hope and I pray that it calls us, that it bids us to become more missional-minded. That we would think about what God's mission is. That we would remember that he came to be the savior of the world. And that that should draw us to think of the world and how we can help be a part of his mission to reach the world. Verse 15. Whoever confesses, and, and this word here, confesses, it, it, it holds more than just saying that Jesus is Lord. It is, it is saying that you have placed yourself under him as Lord, that he is your Lord, that you are his, that, that you are following him, that you have been saved. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you ha- are you confessing that Jesus is Lord? Verse 16. So we have come to know and believe. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So I'm going to look at verse 15 one more time and then transition into the love that 16 talks about. So if we confess that Jesus is Lord, if we confess that he is the Son of God, if we confess that he is our savior. Then God abides in us and we in God. Now, anybody can say Jesus is God, right? Even the demons believe that Jesus is God and they shudder, you know. So anybody can say that, but this is more than just confessing it. This is confessing him as Lord. He is your Lord. He is your savior. You are going to to do what he says. And again, the order here matters. 
We're not saved because we fall under his lordship and do what he says. Okay? We're not saved because of what we do. Okay? Because we are saved, we do what he says. I hope that makes sense. We're not saved because of what we do. We do what we do because we are saved. And if you are in here and you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be his, you claim to be a follower of Christ, then it is important, it is vital for us to live a life for him that shows the world, that is an example of what we are called to be and who he is. We need to make sure that we are living our life and proving our love for him with our actions. Not so that we will be saved. If we're already saved, if we have, if we have been born again and we have placed our trust in him and, and he is our God and we have asked him to forgive us of our sins and he has done it and he has given us his Holy Spirit, then we are saved. We're not doing these things so that just in the hopes that we can make it to heaven. If we're saved, we're going to be in heaven. So why are we doing these things? We're doing them because love calls us to. Love requires us to. We can't help it. You cannot love someone and not long to be in right relationship with them. You cannot love someone and just constantly disobey them and ignore what they want. That's not love. You can say you love them, but that's not what the evidence shows. And so here... In verse 15, he is telling us that whoever confesses Jesus, God abides in him, and he in God. And then we get to verse 16, and we get to, the, to where he starts to talk about love. He says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who are saved, those of us who are in him, we have come to know the love that he has for us. How faithful does he prove himself over and over and over again how many times do we get into a place of desperation when we say god where are you god help me how many times do we get to a place where we cry out to him and over and over and over again he proves himself faithful that doesn't mean that things go our way or we get what we want but he gets what he wants and what he wants is, is ultimately what's best. And it might not appear that way. It might not even, we can spend our whole life trying to make sense of things. And it might not ever make sense. But that's where faith comes in. That's where we trust him. That's where we, we have seen the evidence of his goodness over the years, time and time again. And we choose to believe that he will continue to be faithful. Because... He has proven his love. We have come to know and to believe that the, of the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So here we've seen these different evidences that we have the spirit. We testify. Uh, we confess Jesus. We, that he is our Lord. That he is the son of God. We have come to know his love and, and we are in him and he is in us. And that that cannot be, according to verse 16, that cannot be if we do not abide in love. So at the beginning of this sermon, I talked about these people in my life who um, 
just exude love. That you know that they're a Christian because of the love that they have for, for God and others. And it's just evident. But have you ever met someone who exudes the opposite? Who you just don't even really want to be around? Don't, don't start saying any names, okay? I, I heard somebody whisper Jacob, and that's just not nice. Megan, you got to stop. Um, but, but have you ever met someone who um, it's really the opposite of love? It's, it's more like hatred, bitterness, anger, and that's what comes out of them. And it, 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 you, you just you see that person coming, and you know you're about to have an unpleasant conversation, and, and you, you, it's like you don't even want to be there. You, you want to hide behind a bush or something. Is that why some of you have been hiding when not? No, I'm just playing. Um, you know what's sad is I've I've met those people in churches. I've met those people, and they claim to be followers of Jesus. If if we see any hint of that in ourselves, we have to be careful. We have we have to go to God and say, "Examine me." Examine my heart. Let, let me know if, if there is something in me that needs to change. Let me be about love. And, and you know, earlier when I was joking about love and I called Jake and Rick soft, uh, you know, love is not always soft. Love can be strong and firm and vicious. And God's love is often that way. And so... I'm not saying that we have to be like this American ideal of like um, romantic comedy love toward everybody, okay? Uh, we, we need to have a God-like love, a biblical love for people. And we need to ask ourselves, God, is that love in us? Because if it's not, it's not a good sign. It may even mean that we're not a Christian if, if, if there's been a period where we just have not seen love coming out of us, where we have not been abiding in love. And these are not my words. These are the words of 1 John chapter 4, as we'll see as we reread this verse. But 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to reread verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Okay, so if we love, it's evidence, more evidence that is listed here in First John that we have a relationship with him. And, and I do want, before we move on from verse 16, I do want to say, it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. There, we can have a confidence in our relationship with God. We can have a confidence in the love that he has for us. And so, and we should. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So, by this being what we just read about abiding in love, by this is love perfected in, within, with us. If we abide in love, if we abide in his love and he abides in us, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence 
for the day of judgment. All of us, one day, will stand before God. All of us will have to answer to Him. All of us will be held accountable for what we have done here on this earth. And if any of us are found to be not perfect, imperfect, if any of us are found to have sin in our lives, then on our own accords, we we are hopeless. There's nothing we can do to become right with God in that moment on the day of judgment. So how do we become right with him beforehand so that when we stand before him, we are found right with him? Well, we, we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. There, we acknowledge that there's nothing we could ever do to make things right by ourselves. And we acknowledge that Jesus has done everything necessary to make us right with God. And we put our faith in him. We put our trust in him. And we begin to live for him. After the salvation takes place, we can't help but for him to transform us, for us to change, for us to become more like him, for us to abide in his love, in his love to abide in us. By this, verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And this last part of this verse is easy to read over. But we shouldn't. Because as he is, not just was, but as he is, as he has proven his love for us time and time again, as he has proven it to the point of sending his son, as we read earlier, he sent his son to be the savior of the world, verse 14. As, as we have seen him prove this love over and over and over again, as he is, so also are we in this world. We are here, and we can prove our love for God. We can prove our love for others. We can prove his love, because we read last week in verse 12 that no one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, God's love abides in us. We see that his love is made real to the world and to to the people around us when we love one another. And so as he is, let us be like that. As he loves, let us be like that. And let's let people be secure in the love that we have for them. Let's not make people wonder. My children should never wonder if I'm going to stop loving them if they do a certain thing. My, my love for my children should be unconditional. My love for, for all people should be unconditional. And that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to actions or that we, we don't uh, lose trust in people or things like that if they make wrong actions. But our love for them should be unconditional. It should be like God's love. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this is tied to the day of judgment comment. And for those of us who are in Christ, we have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. For those of us who are in Christ, perfect love casts out fear. 
we can stand before God in confidence, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Jesus has done, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. We can stand before God and we can say, here I am and I'm ready for to dwell with you. I'm ready to be in heaven for eternity. I'm ready for this. I, I'm so ready because of who Jesus is and because he has saved me and because I am a friend of your sons and I get to be with you forever. And 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 we don't have to fear God's response if we have a relationship with his son. Because perfect love casts out fear. We can know that God is going to keep his promise. We can know that we are secure in him and that we will get to be there. But if we think that salvation is somehow dependent on our actions and we are relying on ourselves for sal- ourselves for salvation, then that's not going to cast out fear. That's going to cause constant anxiety. Are we good enough to get to heaven? What if I mess up tomorrow? What if I do this or do that? And, and that is not what this is talking about. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now this is different than when the Bible says we should fear God. Because when the Bible says we should fear God, it's not saying... We need to be scared of him and cower off. It's saying that we need to have a healthy understanding of his power and that he is way above us and that he is the one true God and that he is the one who spoke this world into existence, that everything is held together by him. And, and, and when we understand that, we have a healthy fear of him. It's like... Um, Rose has this look that she can give the kids, and they know they better straighten up. They, now, they, they don't always do it, and I just think, oh, why? She gave you the look. She was gracious. Why aren't you continuing? But they should have a healthy fear of their mother because she is going to lead them in the right way, whether they want to be led down that way or down that road or not. And, and so that's an, a healthy fear. This passage is talking about an unhealthy fear of being scared. Not to, our children should not be so scared of Rose that, that they don't even want to have a relationship with her. They should know who she is. They should know her power as their mother and still see the love that she has for them and that her actions are for their good. And that's how we should be with God. We should have a healthy fear, but not this type of fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. God has always taken the initiative. God is the one who sent his son to save us. God is the one who, for every single one of us in this room who is a Christian, it was God who first spoke to our heart and said, follow me. It was God who first spoke to our heart and said, you are a sinner and you need to repent. It was God who first called us. And, and, and we can say we asked Jesus into our hearts. We can say that we did this or we were born again. And, and those things can, can be true. Um, but we need to remember that he took the initiative. He called us first. He showed his love first. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
cannot love God whom he has not seen. So we cannot say we love God and hate our brother. And it's it's a little confusing. Um, not Most people don't agree and most people don't even, there's really not a way to know if when he says our brother, if he's talking about Christian brothers, like fellow Christians, or if he's talking about everyone in the world. But we know that in other places in Scripture, we are called to love the world as Christ has loved the world. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and, and take a leap and say whether this specific verse is talking about that or not, the Bible does talk about that. And so we cannot say that we love God and not love. And let's just, if we were to narrow it down to our fellow Christians, wouldn't that give us enough to work on? But let's love each other in this room. Let's love our fellow Christians. Let's love the entire world. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So how can we be confident? First John tells us a lot of ways that we can be confident that we have a relationship with God. How can we be confident that we have a relationship with him according to what we read in this passage? There are several things. I mean, in the first verse we read, verse 13, do we have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us? Have we been saved and sealed with his Holy Spirit? That is evidence that we are born again, that we have been born again. Um, Do we love? Do we not fear in an unhealthy way? Do we love not just God, but do we love our brothers? And those are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And I'm not saying that we all have to have one personality and we all have to love the exact same way. I'm saying that who God has created us to be, with our differences, with our different desires and likes and dislikes and all of, all of who he has made us, um, do we love uniquely in a way that only we can love? And I'm not saying we need to make excuses for our bad attitudes or for the anger that we have towards other people in in an unhealthy way. Um, But I'm just saying that it might look differently how some people love than how other people love, as long as it looks like how Jesus loved. And so let us all ask ourselves today, do we love God? If we do, are we sealed with his Holy Spirit? Have we confessed him as Lord? Do we love him? Do we love our brothers? Do we not fear him? This morning, we're going to enter a time of invitation. And the invitation is this. Do we love God? If the answer is yes, if, you have, if you've already become a Christian, you've already said, Lord, I'm yours, forgive me of my sins, save me, I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to love like you. Lord, please just save me and make me yours. If if you haven't said that, then this morning, you you can do that. If he is calling you, and you're here this morning, that's a good sign that he might be calling you. You're hearing this sermon, that's a good sign that he might be calling you. 
do you feel that it is time for you to tell people, I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm ready to be his, and, and I, I have done what needs to be done, and I know I'm trusting him that he has done what needs to be done. Or if you're in here this morning and you have been saved, but you have not been loving others like you should, then this morning you, you can come to God and you can say, forgive me. You can go to a fellow brother or sister, someone that you have wronged, and you can say to them, Lord, or friend, forgive me. Here's what I did wrong, or here's, I, I just haven't loved you like I should, or whatever the case might be. And this morning when we talk about love, examine yourselves and ask God, is there anything in me that needs to change? Do I need to love better in any way? And ask him to reveal to you if, if there is. Maybe you're in here and you have enjoyed coming to our church and you want to become a member of our church. If, if you're already a Christian, then have you been baptized? Maybe it's time for you to, to follow the Lord in this step of obedience and, and be baptized. If you've already been saved and baptized then, and you want to join our church, then come let us know. We would love to have you as a part of our church. And so... During this invitation, you respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. Let's pray, and then we'll have our invitation.